0: Asia Tech Podcast. Voice of the Asian tech ecosystem. Hello, this is Graham Brown. You're listening to Asia Tech Podcast in what is a momentous week for Asia and perhaps the world, starting with the news that the North Korean president, Kim Jong-un, stepped across the border, the parallel held out his hands and shook hands in an embrace with South Korea's President Moon Jae-in. And that really, that single step, broke decades of distrust and hostility between the two Koreas. And the reason why I want to talk about this is, this is not a political podcast in any way, but if future historians were to look back on the Asian century and choose an image that defined it, I hope it's this one. And I say I hope because I think this should sum the the optimistic goals of the Asian century up as one that is built on building bridges and not walls. Uh, I don't want to talk too much about the actual North South Korea thing. I want to talk a bit more about what it means. Uh, the reason why I think we need to talk about what it means is No, history is defined by events. And these events are often seemingly unrelated, random events that happen with no master plan. And we only kind of make sense of them in the Steve Jobs way of looking back and joining the dots. And I think people will say the same when they look back at this seminal moment of the two Korean leaders coming together shaking hands, smiling, signing, you know, signing declarations of understanding to work together to unite Korea, and also end the war. Let's not forget that Korea has been at war for the best part of 60 years. So that single step ended a war, ended distrust, or went a long way to that particular goal. So it's a very positive news. And I've seen this happen in my lifetime. So I'm a little bit older now. But I remember being 17 years old and lying on the the sofa at the home in front of the TV in days when people, families used to watch the TV. And just waking up and seeing the news and seeing images before my eyes and thinking, oh my God, what's going on? And seeing Germans, Berliners, with pickaxes and in some cases, you know, diggers and in some cases bare hands, pull down the Berlin Wall. 11th of November, 1989. I remember it clearly, 17 years old. And seeing it happen, thinking, wow, well, this is our era. You know, being 17 years old and seeing that and the world changes and seeing the world in front of you. You know you know that the old ways are over. And this is a time for young people, for people who think in those times, think of building bridges rather than building walls. Asia Tech Podcast Find out more at atp.show. So I think you look at the North and South Korean leaders and the historic summit this week, there are parallels. Of course, there's a long road ahead, and it may fail. But what if it did work? What if it did happen? Then really, I think you have the moment that defined the Asian century. So let's talk about that, because this has profound implications for business, for technology, and the world. And in the same way, when we look back on the fall of the Berlin Wall, it was a very strange time, because things happened very slowly and then very fast. It's sort of like that quote in in the book i think it's steinbeck grapes of wrath how did you go bankrupt they ask the main character and he says uh, at first very slowly and then very fast you know these things creep up on us you know when we look at for example what happened with the fall of the berlin wall nobody could have predicted it only months before ronald reagan was in west berlin and you know he sh- i remember the speech where he he, you know, spoke to Gorbachev, not directly, but to the crowd. He said, tear down this wall, Mr. Gorbachev. And it happened, not because Reagan said, tear it down, but because events happened very fast and they they spiraled. They, They gained a momentum. And here's the interesting thing. Nobody who was part of this could say that this was the beginning of globalization. No, Nobody knew at the time. Nobody knew that this era started today, except historians looking back. And I think a similar history will be written about North and South Korea coming together. I know these are, are a lot smaller as entities, but the implications are profound too. And I want to talk a little bit about that. There are similar kind of implications to the fall of the Berlin Wall. Because what happens is, is when you take the schism, the duality out of the politics, when you clear the decks, when you remove all that kind of imagery about us and them, then it clears the way for a new way of thinking. So let's have a look at that. You know, when the Berlin Wall fell in 1989, there were all all kinds of things written about it. You know, people speculated about what it would be. There was Francis Fukuyama who wrote that famous article and I think a book at the time called The End of History where he speculated the fall of the Berlin Wall. You know, in a, in a world where it was East and West in, the, in Europe, then he speculated all that was going to be over, that sort of tribalism was going to finish. Obviously, that didn't happen. But you have to remember at the time, you know, I grew up in an era where nuclear war was a real threat. You know, we grew up worrying about whether the the commies were going to drop a nuke on us, which just seems ridiculous now when you think about it. You know, people had nuclear bunkers. I had friends in Switzerland who had nuclear bunkers. I think by law, they had to have a nuclear bunker for every household. And I remember staying in one. We had friends in Switzerland, and we'd go out there in the summer, and stay in their nuclear bunker. And it was fun. You could actually live in this thing. You know, for kids, it was like an awesome experience. So it was real because you're always reminded that, that sort of ominous threat that this could happen. It was always present. It was always there. So you growing up. That was the zeitgeist. That was how it was. You were aware that at any time this could kick off. So that shaped how you thought about the world. And then the wall fell and that changed because then that blew away all those kind of old ways of thinking. Now, you know, we were no longer thinking about this threat in the same way. We were thinking about the East as opportunity. And events happen like that because at the time we don't make sense of them. It just kind of happens. We get caught up in events and, you know, lots of random things happen and then you join the dots in future. You look at what's happened this week. You've got North and South Korea coming together. And then, you know, just kind of random throwing it in there. You have British pop singer Jesse J winning the a talent competition or the equivalent of American Idol in China. So for me, that's fascinating because, again, it appears like a random event. People will look at it and think, ah, oh, it's just a bit of entertainment news like the rest of them. Yeah, no big deal. But it is a big deal. And I'll tell you why. It's a big deal because A, she was the first foreign act to appear on that show. B, she won it. And C, they estimate that it's going to be worth $30 million to her. So what does that mean? So it means... She's opened the floodgates for a whole generation of artists to go to China. In the same way, the Beatles opened the whole generation of artists to go to the US. So, you know, when the Beatles landed on Ed Sullivan, and Ed Sullivan says, The Beatles, you know, that opened the doors for a whole series of British acts to go to the U.S., which was a big deal back then. You've got to, you know, we lived in a different era in 1964, a very different era. You know, we, now today we talk about East and West, we talk about China, we talk about, you know, if you listen to Asia Tech Podcast, we're all over and different countries. You know, I'm traveling around today. I'm in Thailand, heading to Kuala Lumpur, going to Singapore. It's no big deal. But back in 1964, to go from the U.K. to the U.S., was a huge deal, even though they spoke the same language and culturally they were very similar. But what that did was reinforce the idea that this was the right thing to do and it de-risked that whole process for a whole series of acts. So you had like the Beatles and then you had the Rolling Stones and et cetera, et cetera. It sort of paved the way for generations of British talent to go to the US and also paved the way for American consumers to look out for this kind of talent. And we're saying this now in China. So what does that mean? What does that mean on both sides? It means that now Western acts are going to go, well, hang on a second, if Jesse J can net $30 million out of China, why am I going there? So if you are a Western act, the default, the default programming if you like, the path for you would be to go to the U.S. U.S. would be the market to make it. If you made it in the U.S., you made it big time. That's kind of the default programming. In the same way, for example, there is that sort of upscaling pattern all over the world. If you're an Australian artist, you'd probably first go to the U.K. to establish yourself. And then if you're a U.K. artist, you'd go to the U.S. But the U.S. would be the pinnacle. Until now, until now, Now, it could be China. You know, $30 million says it's China for those that are brave enough. And that's the point. Jessie J, I'll give it to her, could have easily not taken this on. You're going to a market which doesn't know you, a market which doesn't necessarily speak your language, a market which, you know, you're an outsider. But to go in and kill it a net 30 million dollars you know that really paves the way for all those opportunistic artists and entrepreneurs out there to see that this is their time it takes somebody to break the mold to push the boundaries to make it possible until that point there's this this pent-up demand to do this in the same way if you're looking at for example uh, Chinese companies going west. You have people like Jack Ma. Until that point, they're all going to wait for somebody to make that first move. And now Jack Ma's done it with Alibaba. You know, he's there in Davos, at the World Economic Forum. Jack Ma's talking to Donald Trump. You know, we have this situation where now Chinese entrepreneurs are going to say, okay, now I can do this. And that just opens the floodgates the same way Jesse Jay is going to do it for Western artists in the same way the Beatles did it for European artists and so on. There is a pattern of history that repeats itself. And the other side of that, which I wanted to share with you, is what does it mean for Chinese consumers? So for a foreign artist to come in and sing in English and to win their hearts, you know, she's not a novelty act. To win their hearts is a major step forward in how these markets are going to integrate. Because now Chinese consumers are going to say, well, who else is like Jessie J? And Chinese record labels and Chinese music talents and recording artists and a A&R and people you know publicity agents are going to say who else can we find like this so these worlds are coming together and it's very interesting because you know we've always talked about asia in the context of cheap knockoffs garments shoes warehouses etc but that's changing and in the same way you know you had that meeting between the two careers this week It opens the door. In the same way Jesse J won the talent competition, it opens the door. You know, these are just random events. But these are the events that make up history. History is not a thing. You know, when we talk about history, we talk about it as, you know, we talk about eras, for example, the industrial revolution, the industrial period, the post-industrial era, et cetera, et cetera. You know, the internet economy and so on we talk about these eras as if they exist they don't there is no tangible you know evidence of this that you can look around to say that's the industrial era or you know this is the digital age they only ever exist as events and you know we only kind of string those together when we look back so in the same way i mean i've talked about this in previous podcasts we can define history through these events the beginning of the Asian century is just a whole bunch of random events. You know, nobody's saying this is the Asian century. It starts today. You know, there isn't an, an opening ceremony. You know, nobody's cutting a red ribbon to define the beginning of the Asian century. You don't see the buntings and the banners and all that. Nobody's doing it. So it's just these random events that are happening. And the thing is, is that they appear random. So nobody's sort of making sense of them. Nobody's joining the dots. But what's happening is, is that in time, there's going to be more and more of these random events coming through. Like the Jesse J example, there's going to be more and more of these events such that now when a young generation of talent grows up, that's going to become the default. People aren't going to think of it as anything special because that's what they grow up thinking the option is in the same way if you grew up 30 40 years ago you know for my generation if i was a, a rock singer you know if i made it big in london my next step would have been go to go to the us to go to the west coast and so on that's what my default programming it's no big deal you know for a generation before me that was a huge deal because nobody had ever done it so we're now starting to see these paradigm shifts, these worldviews change through these small, unrelated, seemingly unconnected events. I talked about before about these these eras. So I talked about the British century, the American century and the Asian century. You can go back a couple of podcasts to get a bit more in depth on this. You know, the, the British century really ended at the end of the first world war and then you had the beginning of the the american century the last hundred years so like 1915 to 2015 2018 maybe today 100 years more or less and the interesting thing about that is that, again, when it happened, it was just a whole bunch of events. Nobody actually said, this is the beginning of the a- the American century. It happens today. It was just a whole bunch of random events. You know, there was the San Francisco Fair, the end of the First World War, then you had the Depression all that, nobody could actually say, yep, this is America's rise to prominence. It didn't actually happen in one big event, just lots and lots of scattered events. So nobody actually could actually track this thing, put their finger on it, until much later, when people sort of think, whoa, what happened? Oh, that happened. I was a part of that. In the same way, the Asian century has happened. Then what happens is you get these large seminal events, which really hammer home the change like for example the suez crisis in 1956 which hammered home that the british century was over the british empire was over and the american century was in full swing and this is the point at which america effectively pulled the carpet out from british imperial ambitions and threatened to i think dump british treasury stock if britain you know, maintained it, its presence in uh, Egypt at the time. So Britain was colluding with France to to oust uh, Nasser, the the Egyptian president, to you know seize the the Suez Canal, which was a huge strategic um, landmark for them. And America just said, "Get the hell out!" Or we're gonna pull, you know, our, our positions on British stock or British Treasury bonds and gilts and so on. And they knew that if America did that, then Britain would go bankrupt. Britain would become a basket case. So Britain had to back down, tail between its legs. In the same way, now, you know, will that happen again? Not not in the, the military context, but maybe financially. China now has the upper hand, you know? So you have to wonder about what that means if China was to turn around at any point and say... Get out, or we're going to dump your treasury bonds. They could say that to any any um, country now. Obviously, they're not going to do it to the US because you know they hold all their wealth pretty much in dollars. But there will be a time when you know they reduce their holdings in US treasuries, start holding them in their own currencies, and so on. That's going to change. So this is the Asian century, and like all these eras. They are just, you know, a series of of random events that happen. And, you know, this is why I'm doing this podcast is because I want to name it. You know, nobody ever names these eras when they're happening. Just like the Reformation it's a great example. The Reformation, if you think about that particular uh, period in, in human history, so 16th century, you had Martin Luther... Um, you know, walk up to a uh, a church, a Catholic church in Wittenberg in Germany, and pull out his thesis and nail this this uh, piece of paper, printed paper, on um, sorry, it might be Nuremberg rather than Wittenberg. I can't remember on, on a church door, and basically, it was on, on this thesis. There was ninety five points, which basically were an open letter to the catholic church to say you know the, the issue was at the time was that the catholic church were effectively selling um you know repentance so for example if you were a rich merchant you could basically buy favor with god by you know going to a priest and paying them some money and you know being forgiven uh, this was a racket. Obviously, the church was making a lot of money out of this, and they were exercising a lot of power. So, you know, Martin Luther was pissed off with this, so he went up to the church and nailed this, this what they call the 95 Theses on, on the door. And it was, just a, it was just an event. People thought, well, okay, right, you know, this is uh, an interesting move, 1517, October the 31st. But nobody ever said that was the beginning of the Reformation. But it now, so what, 500 years on almost to the day yeah 500 years on people say that is commemorated as reformation day that is the day that they choose to say was the beginning of the reformation and you may think well so what what was the reformation well at the time nobody really knew what was going to happen as a result of doing this but the impact of the reformation is possibly one of the most profound impacts on human history. And we don't really understand it until we look back at it, because what happened as a result of the Reformation, you had the beginnings of the Protestant work ethic, you had the beginnings of governance, you had the beginnings of, um, you know, the, really the, the basis of modern human capital accumulation, savings, you had the higher literacy rates. You had uh, you know the beginnings of like market philosophies, the growth of um, the scientific discovery. You had the growth of the modern state advocacy, the Western legal tradition. You know the whole sort of relationship between mankind, the church, and the state changed up until that point you know it was you know it was a world of mystery in a way you know things just happened you know if you, if you were living in a village and you just you know somebody said that some sort of pixie manifested in the woods you believed it because that's how you explain things after the reformation people were thinking in terms of scientific discovery and thinking of logic and thinking of evidence you know, this was the beginning of the foundations which then created you know western liberal thought and democracy and i suppose capitalism and everything that we look at today like for example in the the tech ecosystem even here in asia the tech ecosystem that all began on that day in 1517 so innovation discovery investment capitalism competition many of the ideas that we have about that including for example the individual idea that you could make your life better that self-development school that philosophy which we take for granted today that all began when martin luther walked up to that church and nailed that piece of paper on the door until that point nobody was really thinking about you know themselves as the determinants of their own history up until that point you know you were really a subject of god and a subject of the king or queen in many cases right after that point people started thinking about how do i improve my life you know how do i make my future better that all changed and if you think about that kind of when you have people thinking like that, how that changes everything. So everything we have now in the Asian tech ecosystem goes back to that single act. But nobody ever thought that that single act would define the next 500 years. And in the same way I talk about these events today. Nobody ever thought that Jesse J winning a talent competition in Asia will redefine the way that the the global media industry would work. But it will do. It will change everything. And it, obviously, you know, we're just actors in this story. You know, we. we what happens is is. We look around for the director. Who's the director of this story? Who's the director of this movie? You know, we're just a bunch of actors on the stage and we're looking for this master plan. And that's why, you know, it's difficult to call it what it is because we think that there needs to be a director to call it the Asian century, for it to be the Asian century. But it isn't. It's happening. In the same way the Reformation happened, you know, you had... Martin Luther, then at the same time you had the the rise of the printing presses, which led to the democratization of knowledge, which led to the industrial revolution, the, the emergence of the middle classes, which led to capitalism, the free market, entrepreneurialism, and all these, the, these sort of philosophies that came in its wake. So sure, it may have happened, the Reformation probably would have happened anyway, but it takes a lightning rod to make it happen. It takes a spark, a catalyst to make that event happen. In the same way, you know, what will the global media industry look like for our kids growing up? What they will assume is how it's always been. It's not, how it's always been, right? That's the point, is that, you know, when your kids grow up, what they think of as the music industry, the movie industry, is going to be very different to what we understand. In the same way, for my parents, you know, that whole thing about the Beatles going to the US, that was a big, big deal. You know, that was a new world, new territory. So what will that look like for kids growing up now you're going to have an industry that's completely different it's not going to be hollywood you're going to have an industry which is going to be very much shaped by asian middle classes and it already is starting jesse j 30 million dollars what more do you need to know what's now going to happen what is kanye west going to think you know does he see an opportunity in China? Does he see an opportunity in the Asian middle classes? Maybe, maybe not. Some people get it, some people don't. You can't teach them that. But for the artists that do get it, they will be the ones that go east and monetize that opportunity. And in the same way, in tech as well, it's exactly the same story. You know, we're seeing it happen both ways, going east and west. Jack Ma goes West, who's going East? There's going to be a whole generation of entrepreneurs going East and it's happening right now. They're going East and seeking out opportunity. But nobody really sort of steps back and say, yep, this is how you define the Asian century. It's defined by this huge movement of talent. You know, this huge movement to Asia. Nobody ever says that. But you can define... Silicon Valley and the rise of Silicon Valley in that context, right? But nobody ever said, this is when it started. You know, Silicon Valley didn't start with Xerox or Hewlett-Packard, for example. Silicon, did, Silicon Valley didn't start with Hewlett-Packard and Packard or with Atari or with Apple. It happened long, long time before that. Silicon Valley goes way back to when you had the Jewish and you had the Irish and the Chinese money coming into uh, San Francisco and all that talent coming in that was the 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 platform on which silicon valley was built you know going back to my previous podcast about the the world fair in 1915 you know that was the 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 seminal moment which which set san francisco out as the the future you know when you had an event which was You know, 1915, when the the old world was still at war, 1915 in San Francisco, the World Fair, you had Thomas Edison, Henry Ford, you know, a whole bunch of other inventors. You could see a car being made in the Henry Ford factory. You know, this is 1915, before people actually had cars, right? You could get onto a telephone and make a phone call to the East Coast in a time when people didn't have phone calls let alone people you know people didn't have electricity back then so you have to think about what that meant you also had the you know a life not a life size but a scale model of the the panama canal think about that you know the panama canal is phenomenal in terms of what it did for the west coast it connected california to the world i know it's not you know it's not right next to california but if you were trading between california and europe you had to go over land. But now, if a ship left San Francisco, just head south through the Panama Canal, up through the bay, not the San Francisco Bay, but the, the Gulf of Mexico and up to Europe, right? So they connected California with the world. You know, San Francisco was well ahead of a time and it didn't start in the 70s and 80s with jobs and Wozniak and all that. It started way back in 1915. And it started because, you know, when you have a situation where a generation grows up and their default programming is not to build walls but to build bridges, that's when it starts. So to take 1915 as context for that, think about it. You know, if your best talent, your most innovative people are focused on, you know, trying to find better ways to connect you're building the future. So have a look at those. Thomas Edison, you know, he was he was instrumental in building out connectivity through telephony, right? And electricity, you know, into all the kind of, I mean, he's invented hundreds and hundreds of things, but you know, his work was all about connectivity. Henry Ford, building the car, the car gave people mobility allowed people to move around allowed people to move to you know live in different places it redefined the town it redefined commerce but it connected people think about that the Suez canal connected people now if all of those talented entrepreneurs grew up in an era where the resources were being thrown at you know building walls how would that have been different? You know, it cost the cost of building Trump's war with Mexico 10 or fifteen billion dollars. I think is almost the same cost as building the Hong Kong Zhuhai Macau Bridge in, you know, in uh, China, or well, between Hong Kong and Macau, connecting two of the richest cities in the world and opening up the whole greater Bay area. It's almost the same. So you have to ask, how is this generation using those resources? We can either build walls or build bridges. And if building walls is de facto, like it was for my generation, you know, in the eighties, if I was growing up in a cold war era, then that's where the resources and the focus would have gone. But you know, when they pulled the Berlin wall down, suddenly it opened up this idea that we don't live in a world defined either side of the wall. You know, 1989 was an event, but it started the era of globalization because now we thought of the world as a marketplace, you know, and you look at the the events that came after the fall of the wall and you know what came after that you had the real early beginnings of internet technology you had the beginnings of uh you know the opening up of the whole of eastern europe you know now now the globalization made sense and all those resources weren't committed to building and maintaining walls and division so that kind of freed up everything for this this explosion in innovation and when we look at the, the dot com era that, you know, for ran all the, the, the tech ecosystems in the world today, you know, that started in the nineties, but you know, the, the technologies, if you look at Netscape Navigator, uh, you know, the beginnings that, that was sort of the mid nineties, you had Windows, first real public launch in ninety five, that all came on the tail of the fall of the Berlin Wall. It wouldn't have happened unless that wall fell. So the point really being is that, you know, when you have a generation of people growing up where the fault is to build connectivity and bridges, then you have the beginning of a new era. When we're sort of contained by walls and division, then you are still in the old world. And so it sort of brings me full circle to that meeting of the two Korean leaders which i think is is a really heartwarming moment but it i hope defines the asian century because whenever the you know i'm sure listeners who are outside of asia and, and to to a great degree as well listeners inside of asia when we ever think of asia one of the the immediate imageries that come up in our mind and this is obviously perpetuated it's a narrative which is reinforced and recycled by media is rocket man it's that crazy dude with the crazy haircut so that that's the imagery that comes up so in the same way you know media has a lot to say for this for example you know if you were to say the word iran or iran on fox news whenever somebody comes on to the news and talks about Iran Fox News will immediately get the B-roll out and you'll see a bunch of crazy dudes with a rocket launcher you know and they'll be slapping their heads and shouting and burning American flags it's almost like you know there's Pavlov dogs every time they ring the bell they they salivate right it's conditioning it's the same way media can condition us with these narratives like Iran rocket launchers oh, them Iranians they're crazy well there are some crazy Iranians, but you know those dudes with the rocket launchers aren't Iran. In the same way, you know, when we think about Asia, Asia, Fox News comes out with crazy dude, you know, firing missiles at the Japanese. And it's the same narrative. It's reinforcing that narrative because again, it's a wall building narrative because media thrives on fear. You know, when was the last time you saw any good news in in the media? And this this news of the two careers, you know, meeting is possibly one of the very few pieces of good news that you're ever going to hear this week, right? It's all about fear. It's about disease. It's about other people. You know, whenever we have a, a flu outbreak, it's not, you know, it's not California flu. It's Asian flu. You know, it's always from the outside those outsiders bringing in their diseases, those brown people, you know, coming over the wall. <laughs> so that's how media works. That's how it reinforces the narrative. But, you know, what does that now mean in the same way when the Berlin Wall fell? M- media could no longer reinforce that narrative about those crazy commies. They're going to drop a bomb on us. You know, they can't reinforce that narrative. It That narrative falls apart. So it gets replaced by something else, which, you know, it may not happen for us older listeners, you know, because we've been ingrained with these narratives for generations, right? We, you know, we grew up, we saw China, pictures of Chairman Mao, and then we had pictures of this crazy Kim Jong-un and his father and his grandfather. You know, that's what we thought. And then we had pictures of, you know, sweatshops making T-shirts, Apple workers jumping out of the window, all those kind of things, right? So maybe we we are a lost cause, but maybe young people aren't. You know, maybe young people are young enough and malleable enough that these narratives don't stick. So, you know, if you were 17 now like I was 17 back when the Berlin Wall fell and you're seeing two Korean who are sworn enemies, you know, decades of distrust just being broken by a single step. When you see that, what does that mean? for your understanding of what Asia is? Is Asia now uh, an, a region of fractious relationships? a region of, you know, crazies firing missiles at their neighbours. Well, it might still well be, but only time will tell, and hopefully it won't. And, and that really raises, you know, some huge paradigm shifts for young people growing up today because the age for them is going to be very different. You know, they will see... A region which is building bridges, both emotionally, like the two Korean presidents coming together, and physically, like the One Belt One Road project, which I've talked about here on Asia Tech Podcast. That's a five thousand billion dollar project of infrastructure build, including bridges, roads, rail lines, ports, etc., cetera, etc., cetera, all linking. Asia with the world. You know, that's a real labor of connectivity. In the same way America, you know, exercised its soft power back in 1915 in a similar way. You know, uh, uh, rather, you've got to remember, America in 1915 or, you know, in the early 20th century, didn't want to be part of global politics, didn't want to be part of the League of Nations. It abstained from the First World War, only got involved in the Second World War at a later stage after Pearl Harbor. But you have to remember, like, it was well into the 20th century and the age—sorry, the American century, the American era, that America finally started flexing its muscles. Before that, it wasn't interested in building wars. It was only interested in focusing on building out its connectivity. The same way China is doing that right now, you know, China in 2018 is America in 1918, both economically and philosophically. So that has real implications from where this goes from now. Because, you know, if you think back to it, nobody went to America in 1918, seeking out new opportunity for their business. But it's starting to happen now in China, Jesse Jay, as an example, startups as an example, the infrastructure, just like the Americans exercise soft power. And you look at that meeting between the two Koreans who really brought that together, who brokered that deal. Let's have a look at that step outside of, you know, the, the recent events who actually pulled that together. So on the one hand, you have the old world, which is Donald Trump, the wall builder threatening to, you know, hell, fire, and fury on on Korea, threatening Rocket Man. We have that old world of division, derision, and you know, imperialist approach to global politics. And you know, I suppose in a way, it's very different from Ronald Reagan, who I know obviously he has his uh, moments of. Uh, Oh, we can skip over the fact that, you know, what he was doing in South America, but, you know, you look at what happened in, in, in Europe. He was the guy that helped pull all that together, tear this wall down. But, you know, who brought the Koreans together? It wasn't Donald Trump. I know you take credit for it, but you take credit for everything. But it was Xi Jinping, the Chinese leader, he brokered that deal. How you know? Just a week before the meeting, it was Xi Jinping who was talking to Kim Jong Un. Yeah, he made that happen. So that raises a question: Who now is brokering power? Well, in Asia, it's China, not America. What did America didn't make this happen? What's going to happen now is you know, that you know that meeting reinforces china's ability to create connectivity in the world reinforces what's happening politically it reinforces what's happening economically in the world and that is that china is building out connectivity in the same way that america built out connectivity in the early 20th century that's what's happening that meeting between the two koreans even though these are two very small markets is profound because That is the image. If you look at those image of those two leaders coming together, that will be the image that defines the 20th century. That story, because, you know, okay, sorry, the 20th century, the Asian century, what am I saying? That is the era that would define it. Because, you know, people will look back and say, where did it start? You know, there is no starting point, as I said. It's just going to be, you know, at what point did people's mindset shift far enough that they thought the old way of looking at this region had changed so far that it was broken. And I believe it happened today when those two Korean leaders came together. And so when we look back and see Asia take the lead, China become the leading world power, Asia to become the leading world ecosystem for startups and technology, you know, Asia to become the go-to place for a next generation of talent when thinking about, you know, where do I go to better my career? Now, Asia to be the place where people say, you know, if you're not part of it, you're missing out. In the same way they said about the US, you know, back in the, the 20th century. So all of those things, all of that started with that meeting between those two Koreans. In the same way the Reformation started when Martin Luther nailed that paper to the church door, you know, it's just an event. It may not be that it would never have happened if it wasn't for that, right? It would have happened anyway, but it took that sort of catalyst event to spark it, and I think we've seen the same now for the Asian century. And so it's a very positive event as well, and I think it summarizes what's going to happen. At least in the next 20 or 30 years, so, when you write the book about the Asian century, just let me, or you read the book about the Asian century, this event has to be the first chapter. Because it's not a, necessarily a chapter that's going to be read by people of my generation, you know, guys in their 40s and beyond. It's going to be a chapter that's going to be read by the young people who are going to look and try and understand the world. And they want to know where's the future? Where do I need to be? Where's the action? Where where am I best positioned if I want to make a better future for myself and my family? Right now, it's Asia. Maybe not everybody gets it because they're still thinking about Rocket Man, and that's that kind of imagery. But for younger people, those images will fade away. That's why Asia matters, and I think it's a positive future as well. You know, if we listen to the media, it's not always good. It's not always positive. A lot of negativity out there. But when I see this news, that warms my heart. And I think we live in interesting times. You've been listening to Asia Tech Podcast. Find out more at atp.show.